2: Welcome to another edition of Cal's Corner Radio here on the X-Zone Broadcast Network. My name is Cal and I'm your host. The executive producer of the show is the one and only Rob McConnell. Folks, this is a very special show, at least for me and uh, uh, hopefully uh, for people who listen to the show regularly. And I've seen the demographics. Uh, I'm amazed, for example, to see there's a huge presence in Japan and places I don't really have much contact with and have never visited But anyway, today's episode is special because it's episode 100 since we relaunched from the Middle East a few years ago, and I'll get into that in a moment. And our special guest today, because I thought about this, it's like, okay, we're going to do an anniversary show, milestone show. Of all the people I've known in ufology for all these years and decades, I thought, who could I invite on this show who could share some personal information not very well-known stories about his investigations over the years, where he's coming from, what his views are. I've worked with him many, many years. Uh, Our guest tonight is Mr. Robert Kiviot, the famed Fox producer. He's probably well-known for his Fox productions of many years, Uh, the most famous of which was the Alien Autopsy series of videos. There was also World's Greatest Hoaxes, Secrets Finally Revealed. I worked with Bob on that. Uh, I was honored to be asked to be part of that team, and I've known Bob Kiviat going back to the mid 1990s. Uh, we'll both reminisce and go over how we met and some of the stuff we did, and then I'm going to turn over most of the show to Bob Kiviat because even though he has his own show, uh, he's a walking encyclopedia of this stuff. And I'll go on record as saying what I've always said about Bob Kiviat: I enjoy working with him, and always have, because. He's one of the few producers in TV, seriously, and I can count them on one hand, and I don't even need a full hand to do that. There's so few that he knows his stuff. If he wasn't a TV producer, longtime media producer, he would have been a very top ufologist. He is a top ufologist. On the other hand, I'm a little hesitant at calling very good friends and top researchers ufologists because there's kind of a stigma with that although there shouldn't be and that's because ufology itself is not the scientific study of ufo reports like it should be instead of course it uh, has become ufology which is when you make statements about ufos which are not derivable from the data that is of course what uh, ufologists do all right so let's start uh, real quickly before we bring on bob and recap a few things you will remember that a few years ago i got a message from rob mcconnell whom i've known for a long time i was in india at the time And he asked me if I was interested in doing Cal's Corner again on his network. And I said, absolutely, sure. It had been a long time since Rob and I had been in touch. And to be honest, I walked away from much of UFO stuff and was doing counterterrorism stuff uh, in India and in the state of Punjab, as well as analysis. I was special advisor to the owners of uh, Daily World and Daily uh, Post newspaper And, of course, I had thousands of articles published, a lot of specials on terrorism and stuff. And I was able to use those skills in those areas. And I enjoyed that a lot more than chasing a lot of UFO cases that turned out to be empty. I mean, let's be honest. I'm in the hunt to find out if we're being visited, just like a lot of other researchers. I had my own sighting many years ago, which I still cannot explain. And I've worked at Boeing and other places. I'm very familiar with what is flying. And even I can't explain what I saw. Thank God there were witnesses. But when Rob asked me to come back, I thought, okay, uh, yeah, let's do this. We can. And I had actually started working on some projects, which people like Bob Kivyat knew about, and this was to dust off some cobwebs and try to uh, get some productions done that had been long in the pipeline, like the upcoming Hill Exposé, which in my case goes back to when I was in high school as a uh, prodigy child and uh, with Stanton Friedman as my mentor, I was Friedman's go-to guy, as Bob Kivion and others know, when I was a kid, grew up with Bill Moore and Stanton Friedman, and worked on many cases that they wouldn't bother running the full trap to because they were committed to a view that if the case turned out not to be the way they wanted to, they would never promote that. And uh, that's what had happened. So when I was in the Middle East, we broadcast from Abu Dhabi and landed in Dubai, I, of course, being a Jew, was there for a couple of reasons, which have nothing to do with the show, but it was clear from people in Abu Dhabi that I could broadcast, so I thought, let's do that. And the reason that I thought it would be a good symbolic thing to do from the Middle East is because I knew, and I've got wonderful secret photos, which I'm going to release soon to prove it, of Israelis and fellow Jews in that country at the time, and they were there laying the groundwork, and I was there as well uh, with the largest newspaper owned by the uh, government there, which is, of course, the Sheik, the Emir, and um, I was going to work for them, but I decided not to do it. They were going to put me on the Iran desk, and I decided not to take an offer that they had talked to me about because Communist China had just bought 10% of this newspaper, And I told them I had an issue with that, and then I cover China as part of what I do. And uh, I intended to write some exposés and wanted to continue that, that Daily World and Daily Post had published about China over the years. And, of course, I have that upcoming book on the coronavirus. And they, of course, had a problem with that because China was now uh, spending serious money on them. So we agreed to disagree. I then went secretly to Europe. I secured a lot of archive material that had been stored secretly for years as I traveled. I'm happy to say during all my travels, all my archival stuff is now safely back in the U.S. And the new book that is part of the Ufology Ufology series on Wendell Stevens, the CIA's conspiracy against Wendell Stevens, which is out now. It's volume two of the Ufology Ufology series. Volume one is the Annie Jacobson expose with Rob McConnell which I will, uh, you know, of course, be with Rob talking about soon on his show. I always look forward to that. Anyway, as this stuff came out, um, it's now in the pipeline with a lot of other books coming. And I want everybody to know who follows this show that about a year ago, October 19th, last year, I held a all-day event where I showed previews of all this stuff coming out. I warned people it was coming. It doesn't surprise people like Bob Kivian and Rob McConnell because they've known me for years. They know what I do and I've worked with them on stuff. But this Ufology ufology series is coming and there's one objective for it. It's to solve a case and move on regardless of what that case does. And if we can't solve it and render a definitive verdict, there is no book on that subject. That's the bar I'm setting, I'm executing on. And the first seven books have already been released as far as what their covers are, what their topics are, okay? The first two are available now for sale on Amazon.com. And that's, again, Annie Jacobson's Area 51 book scandal, which exposes her and nails her cold. And then there is, of course, the CIA's conspiracy against Wendell Stevens. I was the journalist who broke open the story that Wendell was convicted for multiple counts of felony child molestation, served three seven-year concurrent terms for that, tried to make up claims the CIA framed him. I blew that story open as a fraud and a con. And to this day, the Billy Meyer UFO sex cult, who's all up in arms over this, still lie and say, just ask Mikey Horn, that Wendell was framed by the CIA. No, he wasn't. And in a week or two, we're going to be giving to the CIA legal office, by the way, formal copies of our expose of Wendell Stevens, and information on Mikey Horn, and we'll see what the CIA has to say. If anything, I don't know. All right, I've talked long enough. Bottom line is I warned everybody over a year ago that this was coming. You can look it up on social media, even on sites that love to hate me. And of course, many of them are run by the Meyer cult. We know that. There are IP addresses. It's easy to trace them. They're not fooling anybody. And other hosts, such as Steve Cambion and Melissa Dawn, who have their own shows, they've all identified who these people are. So have others. And they're all releasing this stuff. Now, a year later, it is coming out. And it took a hit because of the pandemic, just like everybody else has taken a hit. And although we remain on a pandemic production schedule, that's obvious, stuff will continue. And the agreement I have with my publishers literally is unless there's a nuclear holocaust, we will proceed and we will publish. So, again, thanks for your support. I continue to be amazed over how many private emails I get saying, go get them. We support you, whatever. But publicly, mm, we'll see. Actually, there's been some good stuff coming. But the bottom line is we're moving forward with these exposés. And hopefully some of the cases we hope to solve uh, will come up as real. We'll see. All right. Now that I've given that long-winded introduction, let me pass it off now to Bob Kiviat, who is our guest. Uh, Bob, welcome to the show. Thanks for putting up with my winded introduction here. And, oh, no, uh,
3: I, en- I enjoyed that. I enjoyed that a lot, Cal. It's nice to hear your uh, your track record
2: <laughs> again. Well, thanks. Uh, Bob, um, I know in dealing with people who we both know as well as people in the UFO field, there's, there's misinformation. There's, there's misinformation and disinformation about you, meaning a lot of people, if I ask them, hey, where's Bob Kiviat coming from on the UFO subject and all that, I know those answers because I know you very well. But will you just say for the record here, what drives you, what motivates you, where you're coming from on this? I
3: think you and I have always had the same exact and I hate to use the word exact ever, but I think in this case we are precisionally connected here in solving and getting to the bottom of cases to have these mysteries, especially under the category of the unexplained. And I completely, I'm not, I'm never comfortable with the term paranormal. I don't even understand the term. I I don't know how it exactly became a term for television. I know, I know the people that put the term out there and what they were trying to achieve. Mm -hmm. But I I would never say in any way, shape, and form I thought I was ever a paranormal TV producer. I always felt I was just like you, a journalist trying to get to the bottom. I'm using television mostly as my medium. And I have written for print, as you know, as well, especially for Omni magazine. Mm -hmm. But I absolutely am trying to solve a case. I would never touch a case if I didn't think there was a chance of solving it. And that's why I started my career at Unsolved Mysteries. Pretty much after leaving Now Can Be Told with Geraldo Rivera, because the goal was always to solve the case. And I thought Unsolved Mysteries, their goal was to solve cases. And it was, but I think it was more of a kind of like come on line or come on attitude that they're going to solve cases because basically most of the cases that they brought in, especially in in the unexplained area, which I did appreciate, they called it the unexplained. You're mm-hmm. never really going to see the word paranormal too much on their show. So I was very happy to be part of that program because we were trying to solve cases. That was the goal. But again, there were so few cases that really fit that category and they were proud of the cases they solved, whether mm-hmm. it be crime, murder, or the unexplained. But in my, in my own career, after leaving Unsolved Mysteries and starting my own productions, I always felt it was to solve the cases. That was
2: the goal. Solve them. Yeah, it, uh, I appreciate you clarifying that, and that is important, and that, of course, remains the most noble objective, regardless of who you are. Uh, I remember, uh, and you know, I'm grateful to you for giving me my first big TV break, uh, the first TV show I was ever on. I don't know if you know this guy. Do you remember a, a long time? This is a long time ago. We're talking 70s, I guess. When cable TV was just starting to take off, there was a producer from Southern California who operated in the Bay Area named John Dosa. And he, no. he had a show called The John Dosa Show. And real quickly, he was attending a lecture I gave uh, when I was in high school at Fremont uh, Main Library. And he was in the audience and he in- introduced himself after one of my lectures. And he says, Hey, I want you to come on this new thing called cable TV. And I'm like, OK, whatever. So I go there live and I give this lecture. And, um, in the audience were people from the Meyer UFO sex cult. They were believers. (laughs) And they showed me this book, UFO contact from the Pleiades volume one. And I was like, Whoa, and I saw immediate problems with it. And then, uh, I'd done a lot of media work. I debated field class on radio and things like that, but it was still a secret. I was a kid. Stanton Friedman was one of the few people who knew and everybody I wrote typing up letters and many long winded reports. They assumed I was an adult because my letters were always typewritten, which I thought was funny. But uh it wasn't until you and the show encounters your old show on Fox that uh that was my first big major network debut in primetime and I appreciate that. And I really appreciate the fact, Bob, that you let me debate Jim Delatoso of the Billy Meyer UFO group who promotes Meyer. And that of course was a debate that I still get comments on today. Uh, especially when they saw the image of the, the object in front of the tree branch instead of behind it and so on. So we're about to hit the first uh, break here in just a few seconds. But when we come back, can you briefly describe to me, uh, remind people what Encounters was like, what it was like to work on, and then can you share some background? With- Welcome back to the second segment here on Cal's Corner Radio on the Exxon Broadcast Network. My name is Cal Korf, and I'm your host. The executive producer of the show is Rob McConnell. Now, before I talk too long and uh, got interrupted by the break here, which is my fault, I was just mentioning that my first big network TV debut in prime time on Fox, which was wonderful, was courtesy of our guest tonight, Mr. Bob Kiviat who at that time was a producer with the Fox show Encounters, which was on the air, and I liked that show. Man, I thought that was so much better than the show called Sightings. I don't even want to go there. <laughs> uh, Bob, uh, why don't you explain briefly how we met? You and I know the story. It's kind of funny. And then tell, tell me about your time during Encounters and how that led to bigger things at Fox.
3: Oh, uh, sure. So basically, um, when I first moved from New York directly to work in uh, Burbank, California at Unsolved Mysteries. Um, I knew of you. I had every reason to want to contact you because you work with Billy Meyer, Stanton Friedman, a lot of different things. You would definitely cross my purview as a UFO kind of studying producer. That's the way I I like to sort of correct what you said earlier. I don't think of myself, and I'm I'm sure you knew I was going to say this, Uh, I don't think of myself as a UFO researcher, although I do subscribe to the idea that uh, uh, people like even Ernest Ernest Hemingway said when he moved from novels to, or from from journalism to novels, he said that a writer, especially an interviewer, a researcher, or a a writer about doing journalism, would want to know a subject better than the person he's interviewing, or at least as good as the person he's interviewing. So, for instance, when I did the. Yeah, when I did the article about the face on Mars, the cover article in August 1994 Mm -hmm. on the face on Mars and and NASA's desire to want to take a picture of it, which there was. I had to become up on everything, geology, cameras, NASA's history, previous flights to Mars that were a problem. Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure every single person from Michael Malin, the guy in charge of the camera, to Arden Albee, who was in charge of the mission in a lot of ways to even ahead of NASA at that time, I would have to be able to ask any question and know, it better, know the answer before the guy even pretty much said anything. So that's a good journalist. That doesn't yes. mean I'm a UFO researcher. So I had such a passion to want to know about UFOs for doing interviews with people that I had to become maybe one of the best researchers like you because we had to just cover the terrain. And a lot of journalists don't know their terrain as we found out with this whole QAnon thing and everything going yeah. on in the world right now, as we've talked, people don't do the job. They don't do the homework because right. they can't be very good reporters. Anyway, back to the main point. So when I got back to Burbank, when I got to Burbank, California, and I'm in my office, I knew that there was one person that had probably contact with you. And I contacted him. And I'm not not interested in getting into the whole story about Bill. I don't think we need to get into that. If you want to talk about him, you can. But overall, I was looking for you to help me do a definitive, at that point, uh, I would say segment on Billy Meyer at Unsolved Mysteries. Mm -hmm. So I found you. I got in touch with you. And then from that point forward, we were talking pretty fast and furiously. So I had to reach out to somebody named Bill Moore, who was a bit of a skeptic debunker, very confusing guy. The government maybe got to him a little bit. We can get into all of that. But overall, I
2: wanted to meet you.
3: And luckily, Bill provided the contact, and that was it.
2: Yeah, it's... um so, Yeah. Well, yes, yeah, you know, sure.
3: you know, it sorry, just to finish my answer, because you asked a two-part question. Sure. Encounters, encounters came up because I had left Unsolved Mysteries, and partly due to, in my opinion, the fact that I was doing so many of the great stories there, they were a little bit uh, worried about the rest of their staff. Mm. And, I mean, Cal, I was only there for like less than two years, Mm. and I had some of the highest rated segments they ever had in all their existence to this day. Mm. And one of the things that I really rue the day about is we had a fabulous one-hour special Unsolved Mysteries about Billy Meyer basically ordered by NBC. The way it went was we at that show, before we get to Encounters, we at that show had to provide what's called a research report, which is a very detailed, in my case, you could almost publish it, I'm proud to say, but it was a very detailed document about the Billy Meyer case, and we always did that for every one of our stories, whether it was, whether it was a 7-Eleven that was robbed, there was some gas station that was robbed, and there was a, you know, a robbery we were trying to solve, a wanted case, or mm-hmm. whether it was a big case like the Billy Meyer story, we had to provide a research report that went to NBC. Well, to my great surprise and glee, I'm sure you would agree, I got contacted by the head of the show, and she called me up to tell me, that they loved the Billy Meyer idea and they wanted to build it possibly into a full one-hour show. In other Mm. words, the entire night would be Billy Meyer. So that was very exciting. So what we always do is we do what's called a scout. So they take the research report and all the people I want to interview and everyone including Billy Meyer. And we had arranged for Billy Meyer to allow us to come to the farm in Switzerland Mm. in Hintus as you know.
1: Yes, and we
3: were all set. We were all set by director, who, by the way, often called me a UFO researcher or referred to me in one recently. I, I won't get into it. But the research, the, the producer uh, is me in this case. And the, the director is going to go out to Switzerland and actually look over the farm, plan hmm. the shoot. You know, he has to get all the things worked out. We were a very expensive show. We put out, we, we, we pulled out all the stops, you know? Yeah. yeah. So, at Unsolved Mysteries. So as we were playing the trip to Switzerland, getting it all ready to go, and it would have, probably would have led to a one-hour special on Billy Meyer, we got hassled by people that claimed that they owned Billy's rights. Yes. And those people, you know who they are. Do you want me to name mm-hmm. them today? or
2: you? No, it's not necessary, but I, okay. yeah. yeah.
3: People that claim to have the rights to Billy Meyer's story threatened the show that yeah. if we were to do something without them, which is pay them, all they, right. were, all they were looking for was a handout of money. Right. They were trying to keep Billy Meyer like, a, like an indentured servant. Like, if he, if, he, if he wants to make a deal on his own, their view was he couldn't do that. Well, we found out later in The World's Greatest Hoaxes, of course, you could make a deal directly with Billy Meyer. Absolutely. And that was one of my proudest moments. So we'll get into that in a minute. So I left, I left Unsolved Mysteries under some very odd circumstances with their staffing issues. Mm. We'll get into it. I was creating quite a stir there that I was, I was kicking out great segments about crime and, and things like that. I did actually a segment called Is Doreen Dead? That the head mm. of the show said to me, Bob, it's a husband-killed wife story. We don't know if he did it, but we think he did. It turned out he probably did the way it worked out. But anyway, uh, more, almost assuredly did So we were right on the right track. He killed himself later after killing somebody else. But oh. then it turned out, she said to me, Bob, that's a, a, she said to me, that's like a perfect unsolved mystery story. What are you going to do now that you're not working here full time? Are you going to go back to New York? I said, why would I do that, Terry? Why would I go back to New York? <laughs> and the rest is history. She, the next time I saw her, she was standing in line at a, at a, at a coffee place and I, where we both frequently went in Burbank. And it was just after the alien autopsy with a new shit on Fox. And she turned around at this coffee place and she went, oh, Bob, how are you? I said, oh, Terry, good. How are you? She said, oh, what have you been working on? I said, oh, you haven't heard? Aided <laughs> Autopsy, big hit in the country. She goes, oh, yeah.
1: Oh, Welcome yeah. to Hollywood.
3: Yeah, Welcome really. to Hollywood, Cal. So all I'm going to say to you is, Unsolved Mysteries lost me. I Fox picked me up quickly and asked me to come on Encounters. And I just got interviewed for a book being written about the reality TV business. And they went through the entire, the writer, she's really good. She went through the entire saga of how I was able to kind of You kind of not reinvent um, somewhat network television's pursuit of these mysteries, but I brought a certain kind of journalistic um, style to it and Mm -hmm. journalistic integrity to it that Fox noticed that. In fact, Fox noticed the uh, uh, debate we did where you took on Jim Delatoso. In fact, the Fox executive, I believe, based on some comments he made in the last couple of years, last two years, he looked like I was the producer of Encounters. In his view, Hmm. I brought so much to the table that I was producing Encounters. Now, obviously, Hmm. I was one of the producers and then made a recording producer, but Fox's executives still think of me as the guy who produced Encounters. But I had a problem with that show, Cal. There were some very good stories done, largely ones I was involved with and a few other people, and there were also some very lightweight, like, somebody claiming they could pull a ghost from someone's stomach and it was, you saw nothing. It was just, you know, kind of like visual, visual, like, you know, art almost. It was ridiculous. Mm -hmm. So I got to be honest with you, Cal encounters was a great stepping stone for my own shows, but it wasn't quite what I would have wanted it to be, but I did the best we could. And, and, And I do believe by the end of the series, and as I was leaving to go produce alien autopsy, as it turned out, um, on my own on my, in my own production company I think we had brought it to a, a certain level and I think they should have kept the show on at least maybe long enough to do the alien autopsy but they didn't and I got a chance to do it on my own That's how it happened.
2: you know it's interesting you you mentioned that point just now uh, from my point of view because um, this is how it impacted me is we had already gotten to know each other and you're right uh, Bill Moore told me one day he says hey there's this guy named Bob Kiviatt. He wants to Talk to you, should I give him your info? I said absolutely, and I think uh, you may remember when you and I first spoke, it was like, well, why don't we just deal with each other directly and, w- and we've been friends ever since, but okay. i yeah, and just so you know this is how alien autopsy impacted me um, <laughs> um, around the time what happened is 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 uh, I had written of course, the Meyer expose book, Prometheus published it. I told Stanton Friedman, I said, you know, I'm going to have Prometheus as my first major publisher. I said, I want you to endorse my book. And he says, yeah, no problem. You know, he gave me all the stuff Wendell had given him and Coleman Von Kavitsky had given him when he was working with Wendell on the movie UFOs Are Real when I was in high school. And uh, during the press conference, Stan and I did, uh, the media was there, all the media all day. Uh, there's a famous photo now that they published uh, in a huge article on the in the San Francisco Examiner where you see Stanton Friedman, you see me looking at him, and my jaw's dropping because I can't believe what I'm hearing. This is my mentor. This is my UFO researcher idol, and he's saying things which are just so ridiculous that the press nailed him on it, caught my reaction to it, and I actually found in my archives that were recently reopened after 20 years of being stored secretly while I was abroad uh, letters from the so called dark side of the force, the skeptics, saying, Ah, never has the media captured a reaction like this before. Come join us. You know, you're a bright guy. We'll show you the light. And what I found, Bob, was you got to be neutral and you got to just go where the facts are, as you know. So what happened is I was invited to be the surprise mystery guest at a MUFON. UFO Symposium. This was in the mid-1990s. Wald Andrus is there. He's like, Cal, this is what we're going to do. We're going to introduce you on stage. Michael Hessman is sitting in the front row. And you're going to see for the first time, They're going to. I'm going to show them the undercover footage where the tree moved and everything. You know, there's no tree there. And I'm, you know, saying, we've been to Switzerland undercover. I ex- uh, posed to Steve Thomas. Stanton Friedman is there. Everything's all set. And then... All of a sudden, right after I finish my thing and everybody's clapping, some guy comes in and he ho- he's holding a four page fax, Bob. He says, "You're not going to believe what just hit the news. What Somebody die like the Pope? No, they've got photos of the alien autopsy, the body at Roswell. I'm like, what and yeah. And all of a sudden, the whole symposium was taken over by these faxes that Ray Scam Tilly had sent uh, teasing this. Wow. And next wow. thing I know, I get back to the US trying to sort out what's going on because I know it impacts Roswell and I know I'm going to be doing this Roswell expose book. It's like, well, okay. And the next thing I know, I read that Bob Kiviot has formed his own company, Kiviat Productions, and he's doing Alien Autopsy. And I'm like, I'm so glad you went off on your own and did it because I thought, wow, he can go places that... Encounters wouldn't have let him do before, and you certainly did that.
3: Yeah, I mean, I got to be honest with you, Cal. The only way I could have ever thought of doing alien autopsy—I remember writing a little bit of a show, actually—that became the show, and almost word for word, on the plane back from England after seeing the footage for the first time. Mm-hmm. And I remember it was always like I was just a journalist doing a story, bringing it to my news editor. There was nothing paranormally or weird or alieny or anything. It was an individual
2: claiming he had recovered film okay, from an old we're, cameraman. We're, just, we're coming up on the break, so I have to cut you off.
1: It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win?
2: Welcome back to the third segment here on Cal's Corner Radio Show and the Exxon Broadcast Network. My name is Cal Corf and I'm your host. The executive producer of the show is Rob McConnell. Folks, joining me is our special guest, Robert Kiviott, who is a longtime TV producer. He's world famous, literally, and probably his most famous uh, productions have been over the alien autopsy uh, episodes he did on tv he's also done many ufo specials for fox including world's greatest hoaxes secrets finally revealed ufo's best evidence caught on tape there were a few of those there was miracles and visions he, he studied a lot of uh, mysteries uh bob uh thank you again and uh, please continue where how you got into the alien autopsy case and and how that all unfolded
3: well i had written i had written articles for omni magazine so, for me, when I got information from Omni magazine that it was indeed, uh, there was a rumor that Steven Spielberg, the famous filmmaker's company, Amblin Entertainment, had had secured real footage from Roswell. And they were making a movie about it called Project X, and they asked me about it, the people at Omni. I said I didn't know much about it, didn't hear anything about it. I did call Amblin. They pretty much said, no, we're not, we're not involved in anything like that. And then eventually Omni wrote that, we checked too, and there's nothing to it. Steven Mm. Spielberg is not involved in anything like that. But you know, Cal, when there's a little bit of a rumor, usually there's something to it. So I was sitting in my office at Encounters, trying to pretty much wrap up. We were getting canceled, and Fox had pulled the plug on the series. And I got a call from a researcher, and he said, Bob, you're not going to believe this, but in England, there's a morning show a real, you know, open, you know, morning show everyone watches in the morning. And apparently a guy named Reg Presley, a uh, rock guy, a rock musician, former rock mm-hmm. guy, had seen an alien autopsy or seen an alien on film and said it, re- it does exist. It's real. And he wanted to know more about it. And he was talking about it. So I said, look, if that's what you're saying, that must match the story we're hearing out of, you know, out of uh, this whole Amblin Entertainment thing. And sure enough, I contacted the guy who claimed to have the footage and it was Ray Santilli and he said he had the footage and i said well i just understand it's this darkly lit scene and he said no it's a lot more than that and yeah i'm going to show you Harry Truman and i'm going to show you people at the crash scene and i'm hmm. going to show you a lot and i said really sure well after much fits and starts and plans not kept and all that stuff eventually he invited me to come to england i took a plane to england He showed me the footage in a huge room. Uh, 200 journalists were there. Uh, I got some uh, unique access, I think, because he saw the kind of work I had done. And Ray Santilli said, Bob, I want you to be the one to do the American show. I like you because not only are you knowledgeable, but you took it on your own nickel. You came here on your own. You're not working for any one group. You're just interested in the truth. And I appreciate that. So I said, okay, Ray, good. So on the plane ride home, I was saying before the break, you know, my, my plane ride home was like, it's going to be like a, like a journalist doing a, 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 a show on like a courtroom show. For mm-hmm. me, it was like a court TV thing. I'm going to show it to the jury. The jury is going to decide based on the evidence. And that's it. I didn't have enough evidence to know it was real or not. But I knew that if I treated it like an investigation leading to like a trial, a court case kind of thing it would have a chance to stand up at least as a as an interim research kind of thing until we knew more about the film. And that's yes. pretty much what we did. That's yes. how we
2: handled it. Yeah I, so, yeah, I remember. Well, yeah. Well, just real quickly, so because I think a lot of people don't know this, and you, of course, can elaborate further, but just so you know, ladies and gentlemen, a lot of people saw the original broadcast that uh, was the alien autopsy special that Bob Caviar produced with Fox and I remember because of the time zone differences in the US I was on the west coast of course it's on uh, there's east coast 3 hours difference I remember that there were people calling across the country saying it's going to be on at this time you got to see this and it just was a ratings hit and I remember uh, because you invited me down to be part of the other productions because, of course, you know, being a Roswell guy and one of your researchers, uh, you had planned a series of these to to take the public along to see where the investigation went, right?
3: Well, actually, we didn't plan it that way. way It it turned out to be that. The way we planned it Mm -hmm. was that we were going to do the show for the air date that we had. Every Mm -hmm. country got their own access to the video, but we had the biggest platform with Fox Network, of course. And so we did a show based on the idea that it would be a one-shot show, and if for any reason we discovered it was a fraud, we had a plan to go on the local KTTV or our local Fox-owned station here in L.A., and we were going to do a breaking news special for all the Fox stations around the country to tell the public... Breaking news: We had planned a special, but now it turned out to be a fraud. Here's the, here's what happened, and tell the story. We were never going to just let it run as if, like you know, a mystery and kind of just you know, you know, ex- basically keep the public in the dark and just make it a nice entertaining show. Forget mm-hmm. that. We were, and I really was proud of the executive, Mike Darnell, for understanding that it was a journalistic effort, and if mm-hmm. we had to basically give up the ratings home run and let a local news station handle it for the country, we were willing to do that.
2: That's that's I'm glad you shared that because I remember very clearly hearing complaints that, Oh, Fox is just milking this, exploiting it. They know it's a hoax. They can prove it, but they're not saying that. And I stopped everybody cold. I said, wait a minute. I, know uh, yeah, first I can't, Cal, I,
3: I can't, I can't be more effusive in my, presentation to the world on this issue, there is no possibility that we were trying to keep anything from the public. If we were going to go live with a local news station and Mm -hmm. let them take the thunder on this thing and get and the credit, all I would have done was pretty much hand over the file and handle our research and our, and the interviews we shot. If indeed anyone beat us to the scoop, if you will, Mm -hmm. no one did. And we were the ones eventually broke it in the world's greatest hoaxes as a fraud.
2: Yeah. Speaking of which, I'll never forget when you told me that you were going to pitch this show. And I think it was, what, two and a half years went by, maybe three years. And then you call me out of the blue one day and say, Cal, get your ass down here. Immediately, we're in production. (laughs) You and I meet for the first time in years as I'm pulling up to the curb. You're standing there on the sidewalk. We just arrived. I've driven all the way down there, and from Northern California, and you're like, "This is where we're gonna work out of," and it's an old, abandoned morgue mortuary. Yeah, it's <laughs> it crazy. Was like, wow, we're going we're gonna work on alien autopsy and these hoaxes it, out of an isn't it crazy
3: morgue. how it isn't it crazy how it worked out? There we were. We didn't really know it at the time, but we yeah. By the time you came, we didn't know when we rented it, but yeah. Surely, my producer Davey, you know, found this place. And it was indeed a former, uh, some kind of a morgue or some kind of yeah, a hospital yeah. theater. We're not quite sure. We didn't yeah. see any ghosts. Does <laughs> anyone wants <else> to know?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, I'll never it forget, because I remember very vividly, you said, Cal, he says, you said something like, this is how crazy the TV business is. He says, remember I told you years ago I was working on this treatise, this four-page tight, tightly typed thing. You showed it to me. And it was exactly what you had said. You had outlined the cases. Uh, and, of course, Meyer was in there because if, if you're going to yeah. talk about greatest hoaxes, you have to include Meyer. And, yeah. as you know, we had a chance to go in there undercover again and get his wife on camera to talk about well, it you and
3: show did, him. We, yeah, you, yeah, you did that. And, and the best part of World's Greatest Hoaxes is to me, to show people my objectivity. And you kind of made the part earlier by uh, and It's very clear of mine. You call World's Greatest Hoaxes a UFO special. Let me be honest with you someone a little more famous than you and me, Cal, wrote a book, Shirley MacLaine. She wrote a book called Saging Saging While Aging. And in that book, I believe page 155 or something close to that, she writes at the top of the page how how much she believed in Billy Meyer. And it was due to Bob Kivian and the Fox Network doing a UFO special that ruined the Billy Meyer case. Basically, and yeah. I take great pride. I gave great pride in that, and if Shirley feels that. Even though I have a little bit of a respect for Shirley, going back to my grandmother, even I have to say to you that Shirley needs to understand that you have to prove it. And he basically did not prove his claims.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And unfortunately, I think you made it very clear, as uh, did Dean Kunde, the film expert in our show, and others, that Billy Meyer is a very clever amazing, cult-leading fraudster. Pretty amazing.
2: Well, Pretty one, amazing. Thing, one thing real quickly, which has come up uh, full circle all these years, and it's in the new Wendell Exposé book, which is actually a reprint of a book I'd written exposing Wendell in 1995. I forgot I'd written it, Bob, until I found it in my archives. You, you
3: have a very... I've got to be honest with you today, Cal. We've had, a, we've had more than one you know, time talking about this. I did not understand you had such a close relationship with Wendell. You know, I met with him before I started my TV career. I was still dabbling in the advertising Madison Avenue world. I started after college because it's family business, and I was working with my dad a little bit. And I, I kind of hesitated getting into this field because, as I found out in Hollywood, it's a tough thing. You know, you mm-hmm. have to always come up with a new show, come up with this. So I always had my hesitation of getting into the Hollywood world. But got pulled in. That's fine, but. I must say that uh, I went to see Wendell at the very early days of my research, getting ready for my career in television, Mm -hmm. doing these investigative shows. And Wendell, very, very uh, uh, politely, spent a day and a half with me, and showed me almost everything that to offer in terms of UFOs and Billy Meyer. And he told me a story how he kind of got uh, framed himself by the neighbor, and (laughs) damaged his damaged his life badly. And I always had a great affinity for Wendell. He always was helpful. He'd come up with some strange, like amazing find out of nowhere. Yeah. I mean, I don't forget, i was yeah. just to give you a little bit of Wendell, he's no longer with us, and I think we should give him some props here. Sure. I mean, Wendell was a former military guy who witnessed everything from the absconding of, of film footage by the government and not letting it go to the proper place for analysis of UFOs and things like that. And Wendell went public, and sure, he had kind of a swashbuckling little mentality about life. But as you can really see in that movie, by the way, UFOs are real—a classic, by the way. I cut my teeth on the UFOs Are Real documentary, and later actually uh, licensed footage of Jesse Marcel Senior from the mm. producer of that, Brandon Chase. Mm. So all I can all I can say is uh, hearing Wendell's name, the way you described it and knowing how much he was dedicated to the UFO field. And just to give you an idea of Wendell, he was really a very open guy. I was doing one of the UFO specials just for Fox, the two of them, as you remember, and the UFOs caught on tape. UFO is the best evidence ever caught on tape for show. Yeah. We, were, we were doing research, and I found some interesting information that I knew Wendell would know about. And Wendell said, yeah, yeah, Ecuador, I know Ecuador. As a great researcher in Ecuador, here's his number. And it turned out that Ecuador researcher had a fabulous UFO video in his kind of like, you know, world and it was this a uh, Victor Chelarisa video, which to mm-hmm. this day, Cal, Bob Nathan at NASA, we brought because you came to the shoot, you know about it. Mm-hmm. Bob yeah. Nathan at NASA, all he could come up with was it must be a miniature. Like, what do you mean? It's a like spinning chandelier in the sky and he called it a miniature. And they had no reason to believe that really, other than the fact he had a guess. I mean, it looked like a rotating UFO. So I guarantee, Cal, there are some cases that NASA and Bob Nathan would give an answer to that really was kind of lightweight. It wasn't really good enough. If I was a jury, if I was a prosecuting attorney uh, and Bob was my witness and I had to make the case for, let's say, for the video, the victor, I would, Victor make release the video, I would say, Bob, Dr. Nathan, I don't know. Let's try this again. You know, it wasn't quite a good enough answer. You know, he couldn't really answer it. So Wendell had a real proclivity for providing me inside information that I really value. And I'm sure you had your own issues with Wendell, but I think that we should just speak up in a very good way about Wendell. I believe
2: that. Well, let me just summarize it clearly uh first of all i was a kid and again a lot of people didn't know that because i typed letters i had the third largest known ufo collection of photo imagery at the time in films ron smoke tech had the second largest wendell had the first so we all exchanged Uh material that's how we did it so i was excited over the meyer case because i said hey you know wendell you're the main guy in this what's going on and he was lying to me. And that's the that's when I had a problem with it. I was writing a column for Saga UFO report, you may remember, a UFO photo file, and I was using computers working with Ground Saucer Watch to analyze them, and I was getting into it, and NASA Ames was nearby. And I could tell there were problems. And so what happened is I asked Wendell, he admitted he's a one fourth partner in Genesis three productions. And just before he, uh, Well we'll after, come on.
3: Oh, I know,
1: That's ChumbaCasino.com.
0: No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
2: Welcome back to the fourth and final segment here on Cal's Corner Radio Show and the X-Zone Broadcast Network. My name is Cal Corf and I'm your host. The executive producer of the show is the one and only Rob McConnell. Now, before the commercial break, we were talking very briefly about uh, former Lieutenant Colonel Wendell Stevens. He is the subject of a new book, which is part of a series called Real History Matters. Each book is dedicated to different subjects, including Kennedy's assassination. The next book in this, by the way, in five days is on Hillary Clinton, just so you know. And uh, Real History Matters series uh, solves issues or controversial uh, topics that people are obsessed over or believe in for the various reasons. About Wendell, uh, Bob, our relationship again was I had the third largest known photo collection in the world and films and I traded with Ron Smotech as well as Wendell. When the Meyer case came up, because it's the king of the visual cases, I was interested. I was neutral. I thought, well, Wendell believes it. And I didn't know that Wendell was such a new agey type guy and believed that there was blonde women on Venus. You know, he later wrote a book, <clears throat> UFO, I Came From Venus. I had no idea about this side of him. And so what happened, just so you know, is I got invited. And this is all in the book. In the book, you see, folks, actual photos, never published before, of me as a kid visiting the Lorenzans, Coral and Jim Lorenzans. APRO. APRO, yes. Right? Yeah, I was the youngest member of APRO. Who, who
3: would know that, Cal, besides you and me?
2: <laughs> well, yeah, really, I know. We're kind of old now. but But what I mean is... I was donating computers for years secretly to UFO researchers because computers were starting to come in. I was at Atari, then I went to Apple, met some guy named Steve Jobs. May have heard of him. And, <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and then my life changed. So I was giving, and you actually see in the book my letters between the Lorenzes saying, "Yeah, we'll take the computer, and you know I'm trying to train them." And then I saw Coral before she died. She gave me all the Meyer material, including Wendell's original Meyer manuscript, parts of which Prometheus books published in my expose. So Wendell wrote me this letter. It's in the book that says, you know, I'm 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 thanking you for advocating that we should always go after the truth no matter what it is. No hard feelings. okay?" And I was like, no hard feelings after all he did to me. Once the Meyer expose came out, it it was published in December of 1980, as I recall, in Saga UFO Report. It was story of the year. And um, he's like, no hard feelings. He's he's, uh, implying I'm a member of the Klan because my initials are KKK, that I didn't write the book. Bill Moore had written it. And because I was a minor, they used me as a prop so they could avoid being sued for libel, slander, defamation. They made up all kinds of stuff. And then I get this letter from Wendell. After he, he we met in person at James Mo- Mosley's National UFO Conference where I was a speaker in Tucson, uh, Mosley had invited me out there. And Wendell says, "You know, no hard feelings." And then I find out he's in prison. So he was kind of wrapping things up, trying to mend fences before he went away. And then I found out about the girls. There had been a prior offense as well, which was admitted into evidence, and he was guilty. I mean, there's no question. And the court documents.
3: yeah, I is- is- wanted you. I wanted to interrupt you for a second because I'll forget, bear with me for a second, but I want to let you know that there seems to be like a, a propensity, a propensity for this overlap between sexual allegations and UFO people. I know. And now, I... we just, you know, we, we just recently had another situation with the head of MUFON yeah. uh, over the last couple of months in my own town here, where I yeah. live. Yeah. So it's a very weird time, and I would say that uh, it's just a weird thing sort of like e- easing into the UFO field.
2: Mm-hmm. It's
3: not very pretty, and I would say it's a little bit disturbing.
2: It is. In fact,. Um... With that segue real quickly, I want to ask you about this. Uh, cause Sorry we, for cutting you off. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. We have to get through this for the end of the show. But you mentioned Dr. Bob Nathan. I know him. I've known of his work for years. But I want to tell you something that's coming out in the next book of Ufology, Ufology. Remember the Rex Heflin case, that classic yes, case? Yes, very
3: well. We were set to do a uh, piece on that, Unsolved Mysteries. Well, and I got Rex involved, and Rex blew my mind. If I tell you a story, you won't believe it.
2: No, I'd, I'd like you to share the story because um, I remember talking to you about it, and I want you to know that I told Bob Nathan that he's wrong on his analysis. It's not a particulate matter visible around the dome of the object. It's a small object mm-hmm. close to the camera, a train wheel, with a close-up lens, which nobody knew Polaroid actually made.
3: <laughs> I'm glad you reminded me of the Rex Hefflin case, Cal, because I'm going to be honest with you. That's one of the cases that I've never done because I came so close to having exclusive with Rex before, I'm sure he's gone by now, but he was, he was spry and ready to go. And we had arranged for Nate, Bob Nathan to be in the show. We had arranged for Rex Huffman to be in the show and unsolved mysteries in their infinite dullness. Sometimes D U L L dullness uh, decided that they didn't want to go forward with it. And this is after Rex Hefflin called me and goes, Hi, Bob, it's Rex. Well, did you get, a, did you get an approval yet for the story? I told you, Tina, it sounds like, yeah, it looks like that. I said, uh, not yet, Rex. Well, that's a shame, because I got news for you. In the last little while, the Polaroids have returned to me. What? Yes. The original Polaroids have been returned to me uh, just out of nowhere I went to my mailbox and I'd seen a woman near the mailbox. And sometime later I went to the mailbox and my repolaroids had been returned. They had been missing all these years.
2: Now these and are I the Polaroid believe... photos he took of the UFO.
3: Yes. Yeah. And yeah. I couldn't believe it. Right. And obviously if it was my own series of my own specials on Fox, I would have found a way to do that story. Yes. So I really blamed the heads of Unsolved, the heads of unsolved Mysteries because again, if you're really trying to get to the case and solve it, Cal, you'd have to agree. The four shots, including the one that shows the puff cloud or whatever it might be, whatever, yeah. these are four of the most known, famous UFO photographs in American history. Yes. And so, why would one not do that case? And I'm very, very taken again by the memory that we, we think about these things, Cal there are people that want to get to the bottom of cases and there are people just want to put money in the bank. And I'll be honest with you, it's a real disturbing thing. And when I think about it,
2: well, what did you think when you found out that, you know, Heflin wanted money and that he had used a train wheel and was going to confess and all that stuff? Um, I don't
3: believe, I don't believe anyone. And I know you and I have always battled and it's a good battle. I think on certain cases, not all of course, but um, I think, Rex the case, if the Polaroids could have been looked at with the right kind of scanning technology in 1993, we would have known a lot more. It's a disgusting thing. The more I think about this, it gets me mad.
2: Well, I have, some, I have some news for you. Not only is the, the Heflin case now solved, but uh, I, I believe she's a mutual colleague. Erica Lukes has Ann Druffel's archive, okay, and, you know,
3: Anne was working for years on. I know that. I know, poor Anne. Yeah, know, know.
2: Yeah. So I, I knew Anne Ruffle, and I actually have. I'm looking at Reverend Bailey ghost photos in front of me with Anne's writing on them. She asked me to investigate. I
3: know, I know the bears. But by the way, just so I know, I'll just cut to the chase.
2: Mm-hmm. What
3: is the proof that the Polaroids are fake?
2: The, the proof has to do with an analysis that was done, uh, ironically, with GSW years ago and Hefflin admitting he used a train wheel. Uh, so, for example, there was a close-up lens that Polaroid made that nobody knew was available. They didn't really market it. And I pointed this out to Stanton Friedman because I told Friedman, Spalding claims it's a small object close to the camera. He was trying to duplicate it with a paste-up on a window. And I told him, no, there's, none, there's too much detail in there. It's got to be a physical object of some kind. And Nathan had concluded two possibilities. Either it was a small object to the camera, a brilliant use of forced perspective. This guy could have uh, given Meyer a few lessons. Or it was a large object far away, and uh, it could be one or the other. And, and that is what happens when you do what's called photogrammetric dimensioning in a photo, as you know. Uh, Mm -hmm. So Nathan said it was one or the other. And then I have a – I received this in India, courtesy of of a mutual colleague of Nathan, saying it is absolutely a hoax. So what's going to come out is I've contacted Erica Lukes, and I've told her I've got the other half of these files because Friedman gave me everything, said go run the bottom line to it. By the time I told Friedman the bad news, he basically agreed to disagree, meaning like the Hill case in Roswell – when I confronted Friedman with the Roswell Debris photos that Bill Moore had just given me, which had been found now, Bob, the originals he gave me. And I told Friedman this is so not...
3: Where, so the, the, you and I are always about getting to the bottom line. Mm-hmm. Where is the proof that it's fake? The four photographs, are, or three, are fake.
2: Yeah. There is an analysis which nails it. Using the material that I found years ago in my archive, it's, it's been found uh, and secondly, uh, Heflin uh, made a confession. He wanted money, as you know, for medical reasons. And you may recall that I talked to you years ago saying we shouldn't pay a hoax, or I'm sorry, I feel bad for him, but he shouldn't be rewarded for what he did. I went to the Orange County Highway Department and investigated that case immediately after I left the Lorenzins and Wendell on my way back to Southern California back in the early 1980s. So all that data is in the book. Yeah, yeah. So it, it has come full circle, especially with the originals being found, being scanned and all that stuff. But it turns but out... I it want was to
3: hear about to that. That's the part that I want to hear about. How, how, when, they, when they were
2: scanned, what was found in the scanning? Uh, that it's a small object close to the camera. No question. How?
3: What was what the indication of that? The, the actual grain of the film?
2: No, it's it's the problem was that Nathan was using uh, images shot from the Polaroids, so they were, I believe.
3: Bob, Bob felt he couldn't prove one or the other; he could not.
2: Yeah, he because couldn't,
3: couldn't prove or disprove it, he, he leaned on the idea that it probably was fake, but he couldn't figure out in the in the station wagon, I guess, that he was shooting in how he was able to get in the backseat. Bob Nathan was very clear about this. Yeah. He tried to get in the backseat, figure out every angle, and he just couldn't figure out exactly how he did it, but he suspected, as I remember if I remember correctly, mm-hmm. Bob's view was that he suspected they were fake, but would not go to that point because he couldn't confirm it. And now you're telling me there's some kind of forensic evidence done with scanning yes. technology on right. the originals that are scan. Okay, we can move on. I, yeah. I but let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. The Trent photos. Yeah. Where are you with the Trent photos?
2: Okay, well, I'll state it publicly now. And there's a few researchers I've I've tipped off about it. Uh, of course, I'm happy to share you the inside stuff. The Trent Photos is going to be book number eight. And we are doing... A book
3: on the Trent Photos. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, no. no Bob, Bob, television. Bob, wait,
2: let, let me finish this. Roy wow. Neal, who is my former Apple roommate, longtime guy. He's the one I first did the Meyer models with in the hills, testing it for, I went to Switzerland undercover as Steve Thomas. Anyway... We've reunited, just like we never left, and we are doing the first VR, virtual reality, AR, artificial reality reconstruction of the Trent case. Dr. Bruce McAbee, the third original Roswell researcher, who we both know, I won't mention his name, has agreed to help. And we're working on an application that will allow you to walk towards the object. And either, when we're done crunching it, we don't know the results yet, you'll either walk out in a field and it's tens of meters, uh, hundreds of feet away, and it's about 30 feet in diameter. You look above it, or it's a small object, and you walk near the ladder, and it was hanging from there, this so-called mirror, which would explain the densitometry readings that excited Maccabee and Nathan. So uh, we're going to solve it one way or another. I hope it is, comes up real, but at least with the AR stuff, we can do the first uh, 3D AR stereoscopic reconstruction, and uh, we're working on it right now, and Roy Neal Sounds is going to be on a future show uh, shortly, and Sounds we're going to town over it. It's never been done Sounds before. Sounds
3: great. Sounds yeah. great, Cal. Good job. No, oh, that's exciting. So good. We We're talking about some of the most famous cases, and I think the cases that were shot. It may sound boring to people because they we're so used to video, and of course, my my name to claim to fame is doing a lot of UFO video and whatnot. Mm-hmm. I can say without a doubt that if the trend photos prove to be real. It will be yeah. a UFO moment in history. And of yeah, those things where people need to really look at that. So if you're telling me the trend photographs are still open for the I'm fairly confident that they're going to be proven to be what they appear to be, which is a large object in the sky. That doesn't I, mean I hope, it's an I alien hope, ship, by the
2: way. Yeah, I hope it's true. Bob, we're about out of time. I'd like to thank you sincerely for being on the show. Uh, we could do a show with you for weeks and still run out and not have enough Can time. Can I just
3: tell people about the new show real quick? Yeah, real quickly. On? you got a few so, seconds. Truthfinders.com truth That's the show. Okay. Right.